Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly AudioCast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I have to ask, are you there? Are you listening? I hope so, because I have news that I have been eagerly waiting to share. I have finished Annihilate All Humans. You know, last month I was like, oh, I still have so much left to do. Oh my God, it's taking me forever. And, and it was, but I finally finished it. I'm so excited. So happy. I've watched it a few times through, done some tweaks here and there. And I got to say, I like it. I like it a lot. And I think you're going to like it too. So you should come see it at the premiere. I don't have a date set yet, but it's going to be late summer again. Like we did last year with the day the earth abruptly almost ended. That seemed to work out nicely. And I want to do it at the Heights, which is the theater we always premiere at. And the only way to do that now is I have to wait until the end of the summer because the summer movie season has begun and I won't be able to get the theater until the end of summer. It's weird. In the past, I used to contact the owner of the Heights February or even March and be like, could I do a premiere in May? And he'd be like, yeah, anytime you want, just not the weekends, unless you really want to pay for it. Honestly, it was rarely ever worth it the couple times I did it. So I settled on midweek and it became a tradition. So it stays to this day. He would never have any problem with giving me like a random Wednesday in May. The last couple times I tried, he would only give me Wednesdays in April which is why Queen of Snakes debuted in late April. And he sort of cut off May, but it's only because he's making good money, which that makes me happy. I want that theater to be successful. I want people to go there. I want it to stay in business because it's a cool theater. And the guy who owns it's super nice. And it shows interesting stuff, classics on 35 millimeter. And it's just, it's a cool specialty theater now. And it has a really great ambiance and look and feel about it. So I want them to be successful. And if that means I have to get movies out by the end of April, that's what it means. Or I just have to wait until the end of summer, which worked just fine for us last year. So that's where I'm at with that. So that's going to happen. There will be a premiere later this year. I'm not sure when, but I do want to look at the first week of August because that Mimiverse calendar, there's nothing in August. That's a good enough reason for me to want to release a movie in August. Actually, I was thinking about this and talking about it with Butch and Evelyn Johnson, my son, David, and my daughter, Alice. While we were taking a walk, we, we discuss movie stuff. We discuss curling. We discuss life. And uh, they were asking me, now that they knew the movie was done, when I was going to release it. And I was telling them about my weird thing with the calendar always being empty in August because there are no holidays that month and there are no Mimiverse releases that month. So you end up with a calendar page with nothing on it. Well, I mean, it's got stuff on it, but you know what I mean? There's nothing on the calendar. And I said that maybe I want to do the first week in August because we did the last week in July last year and it seemed fine. And I explained to them why. And David asked, what months have you released stuff in compared to which ones you haven't? I said, well, we released stuff in September, where Skeeto and Guns of the Apocalypse. And then October was Demon with the Atomic Brain. The holiday special came out in November. He's like, oh yeah, that's right. He said, well, what about December? I said, don't you remember? The Unseen Invasion came out at Christmas time. He's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Nothing Mimiverse related has ever come out in January 
or February. But of course, March, you have Monster Day with the release of Monster Phantom Lake. I just said April with Queen of Snakes and the late night double feature. And then May was the big month where you have 80 or 90% of all the releases coming out in May in the past. June was when I officially released The Family Kids and the Beast Walks Among Us, even though that was originally supposed to come out in April of 2020, but it came out in June of 21. And then July, which was last year, The Family Kids and the Day the Earth Abruptly Almost Ended. So there's nothing in August, January, or February. I'm not going to release this movie next January or February because then I will have not released anything in calendar year 2023, which, as you know, is problematic for my one movie a year thing. I figure August is where we're looking at. I don't know how I'll actually end up releasing anything in January or February, but maybe somewhere down the line it'll be another special or something you know like the canoe cops christmas special <laughs> or something and then we'll release it in february for some reason or a very special canoe cops valentine's day i don't know probably something digital i don't imagine i would ask anybody to come to minnesota in february for a movie premiere because that's insane i don't even like it here in february even though i like living here february here sucks it's cold it's snowy it's icy It's gray and miserable most of the time. At least it's the shortest month. We'll see on that, but this is my opportunity to fill in one of those blanks to release something in August. So that's the big news. Annihilate All Humans is done. It is complete. Even the credits, everything, it's done. It's ready to go. I could release it tomorrow and be perfectly happy with it. I like how it turned out. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's funny. It's exciting. I've watched it five or six times now, and I really do like it. The first time I watched it all the way through, it's the same thing I run into every time I finish a film and I finally watch it. I get this feeling of, well, I spent a lot of time on that, and that's all it is. (laughs) It's not a bad thing. It's, It's just, it's sometimes shocking. It's like when you spend hours making an elaborate, tasty dinner takes you three hours to do something it's usually really traditional meals that take like three hours like i'll make a traditional pork schnitzel which if you don't know is a pounded breaded pork chop it's german and then i'll make traditional german sides like blaukraut which is a red cabbage dish and spetzel which is if you don't know what spetzel is it's kind of like they're little dumplings these really specific little german dumplings and i'll make it all from scratch because nothing tastes better than making traditional food like that from scratch from a box it's never the same but when i do that it takes usually me and david i mentioned my son david likes to cook takes he and i usually about three hours to make it all from scratch from the time we start making the spetzel and chopping the cabbage and starting the blaukraut which is one of those things you have to cook for a long time so it tastes really good the longer it cooks the better it gets about three hours from starting it to eating it eating it takes 10 minutes right 15 if you're taking your time And it's so worth it because it tastes so good. But there's always that feeling of like, I just spent three hours to eat this thing that I just finished in 15 minutes. It's similar to that when I spend a freaking year shooting and editing and writing and all the things that go into making a movie to finally sit down and watch and be like, well, I just spent a year doing that for 75 minutes of entertainment. It always feels weird. It's a distillation, really. 
of all that time into this thing. It's always exciting. It's always a relief. It's always a little sad because now I'm done with this thing. I've been spending all this time and effort making. It's complete. And obviously I still have work to do to get it ready to release. There's authoring. I finished the poster for it. I mean, there's all these things that still go into the process of releasing a movie that I still have to do. But the actual making of the movie itself is done. I have an 18th feature film. My catalog has another entry that come hell or high water is going to be unleashed. And it's always, uh, it's bittersweet to finally see my handiwork, to see all the effort that the crew and the actors and myself have put into this thing come to fruition, become reality. It's cool, but it's always very bittersweet. So I finally was able to watch it and I really like it. It's a little different than some of the stuff I've done. There's a different emotion around it because this is the first time in years I've released something that wasn't a Phantom Like Kids project. I mean, I started shooting the Phantom Like Kids and the Beast Walks Among Us in 2019. So this is the first time I shot and edited a film that didn't center around them at all. I will admit that they show up in a small cameo, but it's one scene and it's just played as a joke, but that's it. So it wasn't a Phantom Like Kids project. It was working with people I've worked with before, you know, Mark Hader and Mike Cook and Jim Norgard and, and Tyler Haynes playing characters they've all played before. But this felt more like getting back up on the horse than working with the kids for the last few years. It was awesome to work with my kids. I love working with my kids. My kids are fun. They're fun people and they do good work. And I love the movies we made together, but it was definitely time to get up back on that horse of working with outside folks after that, which lurks in the dark fell apart in 2020 because of COVID. I had shot Beast Walks Among Us and we were getting ready to release it and we started shooting That Which Lurks in the Dark and then COVID hit and that got canceled, which is the first time I've canceled the movie I started shooting. And it wasn't even just like I shot for a day, I shot a full third of that movie and it'll never see the light of day. I mean, there's not enough worth editing together. I mean, maybe it'd be interesting from a weird historical standpoint to see the stuff that we did shoot, but all things considered, it's just never going to come together. I'm never going to reshoot it. I don't think I'm ever going to make it. I've, I've let people see the script. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just never going to happen, which is sad, but COVID killed that movie and almost killed the Mimiverse. But we persevered. We kept going forward and I made some family kids movies because for a few years there, that's all I could do. And in the grand scheme of things and the, in the, overall everything, I think I'm going to probably look back and be grateful that despite the worldwide pandemic, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to spend that time with my children in these very interesting and important years of their lives, being creative together and having a good time. Because even now, as Elliot, Danny Johnson, is now 20 years old, he's starting to really want to be more independent and he wants to go out and build his own life as kids are supposed to do. So it was cool that we got to have that time together. I have none of that bonding stuff with my parents. I can't look back and be like, ah, remember that time I did this thing with my folks? I don't have a lot of memories of that with my parents. I think this might be a little bit of a generational thing too, where my folks were boomers and I'm Gen X. And my boomer parents were very much just like, go play, go away, go do your thing, get out of my hair. 
And so there weren't a lot of deep bonding memories of doing cool stuff with my folks. Generally, they were just like, go hang out with your friends, go to the park, ride your bike, whatever, get the hell out of here. We'll see you at dinner time. I think with me, a Gen X parent with Gen Z kids, we're much closer. We're much more tightly bonded. And I think that might be an overcorrection, but whatever. This is not the Mimiverse Psychology Hour. This is the Mimiverse Monthly Audio Cast. It was really nice to be able to spend that quality time with my kids, and we were all doing something creative together, and everyone was on board. None of the kids were like, oh, I don't want to do this. So stupid. No, they were all into it. They were all having a good time, and they enjoyed themselves and are still sometimes like, hey, we should do more. So I know that they don't feel like they've been forced. I mean, if you feel like you've been doing stuff you don't really want to do, you don't ask when you get to do it again. <laughs> but, you know, we got to spend some quality time as a family doing cool, creative, tight-knit stuff, and we have a cool record of it. That's another thing that's really interesting about those Phantom Like Kids movies is they will always act as a record of the kids at that time in their lives. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Annihilate All Humans. I mean, I guess it's related in that I did four different family kids projects if you include the holiday special and so this is the first movie coming out of that pandemic induced family kids sidetrack and it's cool to me that i've been able to get back to it and start making different stuff again and that i'm still capable of it because the imposter syndrome doubts i tell you i mean there are days when i seriously doubt my ability to continue to do anything because it's like well what's the point but I love doing it, and I don't imagine doing much of anything else. Now it's just a matter of, well, what do I do next? And the truth is, is I'm not sure yet. I'll say this. I have three really cool ideas, and each one is as different from each other as they could be. They all are, of course, cheesy B-movie style things, but... I'm not sure what to do next. I'm not sure which one is grabbing me at this point. And this is a weird place to be in because last year around this time, before I finally settled on Annihilate All Humans, I was trying and struggling to do an anthology movie. I talked about this, wanting to do an anthology film partially to spread out the amount of time I'd have to spend with certain people. That sounds bad, but I mean, just for like COVID reasons of just, we're going to shoot this short for a couple days. We're going to shoot this short for a couple days and I'll edit them all together into an anthology. And then I just blanked on the script. I couldn't get enough scripts together. I wrote two of them and that's the best I could do. Beyond that, I was like lost for ideas and I was up against a wall and I really hit a bit of writer's block. And then I was going through old scripts to find some inspiration for maybe some of these shorts or something. And I came across the first two scenes of Annihilate All Humans I had written in 2015, of all things. And I thought it was so damn funny. And so I was like, ah, maybe I'll take a crack at finishing this. Maybe this is just a short. And then as I went through, it became a feature and it became what it is and voila, here it is. I have a freaking finished movie. I mean, it's always amazing to me when I think back to the first steps of writing something to it finally being this thing I can watch. Because there's so much time and effort that goes into these things. It always kind of blows my mind when I get down to now, where I'm like, oh, I have another movie and I have a poster for it. I've watched it and I've seen it. You haven't seen it, but you're going to see it and you're going to love it. So 
going from that last year where I was kind of like stuck to now having three solid ideas and not knowing which one to pursue. I don't know, man. It's just, there's some good stuff and I don't know which way to go. And what's interesting to me is that one of them would be a very traditional Mimiverse film, but it would be really cool and it would include some characters that a lot of people have been asking for for a while. I think you know what I'm talking about and they would be involved. They wouldn't be the focus, but they would be involved in the film. That one would be very, very straightforward. And a part of me is excited by that idea of going back to the roots and doing something cool like that, that I know people would be into because it's what I do. But also there's a part of me that's like, well, but I've done it before. Is that really what I want to do? And then there's this other idea that would be its own type of challenge, which is actually an idea I've been talking about for a long time. And I think maybe now's the time to do it. But it's also very specific. It's very different. And there would actually be some of the things I did with Annihilate All Humans. And this will make no sense to you until I explain it after you've seen the movie. There's some of the things I did for Annihilate All Humans I would then extrapolate into a different type of movie, which none of this makes any sense to you. But that's idea number two. And then idea number three would be something completely different than I've ever done and yet would still retain the style and substance of the kind of things I do, but it would be very, very different. And so all of these things grab me for different reasons. You have the one thing that's more traditional, which part of me, after all these special effects, would love to go and do a movie that probably require none. <laughs> I mean, some, but no freaking flying saucers and single shots that take five hours. It's just shoot it and edit it, traditional monster movie i can say that because of course it's a monster movie so there's that and then there's this other one that is just different and really kind of silly but also would be really fun to make but it'd be a really big challenge to edit compared to all these others and then the last one which would be something i've never done before and would be a complete change but not simply because it would still deal with the same subject matter my films deal with but it would be presented in a much different way so i don't know i don't know what i want to do next but i'm going to decide very soon so by next month you'll know what i'm doing in fact if you ever go to sainteuphoria.com or follow us on facebook or instagram or whatever you'll know the moment i decide because i'll start asking you for money <laughs> Because that's what I do. Of which, I'm not going to stop asking you for money for this one. Because who would I be if I didn't? Now that Annihilate All Humans is technically done, and if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know that when I get to this point, I usually set like a cutoff. And from that point, I can't put any more names in the credits. Because the film is picture locked. It's done. And it's what's going to appear on the DVD Blu-ray. It's the final version. If you haven't contributed and you've just been on the fence about it, or we're just waiting until I finish the movie to make sure that your money went somewhere that wouldn't be a waste, because there's a lot of people out there who will do these crowdfunding campaigns for things and then take the money and then never finish it. Well, I'm not that guy. Even when I was unable to finish a movie, I simply contacted everyone and was like, so I can't finish the movie I said I'd finish. Do you want your money back or do you want me to just put it into the thing I am working on? 
almost everybody but like two people said, just put it into the next thing. The two people who wanted their money back just needed money at that time. They're like, oh, you know, this is great. It's 2020. I'm having some financial difficulties. Send me my money back. And I did. I'm one of those people that you can trust. If I take a dollar from anybody, I'm going to finish the damn project. That's the pact I've made with myself. If I start a crowdfunding campaign for a project, damn it, I'm going to finish that project because I don't want to be indebted to people. I don't want to have to pay them back (laughs) if I don't finish it. I want to give them what they paid for. If they're confident enough in what I do to throw me 20 bucks, damn it, I'm going to do it. I want to spend their money the way they want me to spend it. That's why they're giving it to me. If they're going to give me 20 bucks, I'm going to make a movie. Although if it's only 20 bucks, I don't know how good that movie's going to be. But still, I'm going to make it (laughs) a $20 movie. Here's the thing. There's always a cutoff point, right? You eventually have to cut it off because you have to sign off on the final version and start pressing it on the Blu-rays and DVDs, and that's forever. You can't change it. Well, you can, but you can't change it on those editions. So I always get to this point. I finished editing the movie, but I still have a couple weeks here before I finalize things simply because there's still some time here where I have to author the DVDs and stuff. And once I finish that, film is picture locked. And I can always just quickly re-render the movie to add extra credits. 24 hours and we're good to go. So what I'm saying to you is, if you haven't contributed and you want to get your name in the credits or your spouse's name or your dog's name or your business or whatever it may be, maybe you have a podcast and you want to put it in there, you wouldn't be the first person to put that in there. Contribute to Annihilate All Humans, the movie, not the act, as soon as you can, because Within a couple weeks, I'm shutting it down. Of course, within a couple weeks, I'm going to shut that down and then announce the new one. So you can always contribute to that. But if you really, really want to get your name in a movie that you know is going to come out, if you're one of those people that's skittish, I've gotten burned on crowdfunding before. I gave them 20 bucks and it never got released. I can guarantee you this movie will be released because it's done. It's ready to go. I could release it tomorrow. But if you want your name in it, you need to act now at sainteuphoria.com, contribute and and get your name in the credits. If not, no big deal. You can just wait for the next one, which should be announced sometime this month, and you can just go with that. Otherwise, Annihilate All Humans, the movie, not the act, is done. The film is complete. I'm happy with it. I've signed off on the edit. I just need to sign off on the final version with the correct credits. But it's really good. And if you're one of those people that contributed footage to this movie, which we made a call for that and a good handful of you guys did that, I'll let you know that every single person who submitted video to me, I used at least one of your videos in the movie. Everybody who contributed will see themselves on screen. So thank you guys so much for doing that. It's going to be awesome. You're going to like it. It's good stuff. I can't wait for you to see it. And you should come to the premiere later this summer if you get a chance. But that hasn't been set in stone yet, so don't make any travel plans quite yet. So that's what's going on in the Mimiverse. I finished Annihilate All Humans. I'm very, very relieved that it's done, albeit a little exhausted. But that's what happens. This was a very long process, one of the longest ever I finished writing the script last April. So it took about a year from writing the script, really finishing it. But I really did write the whole thing other than two scenes last April. From writing the script to completion of the edit. 12 months, that's a long time. The only reason it took that long was because of the special effects. They were so 
GD Mini that the process really slowed to a crawl because for as spread out as the shoot was, the shoot really was pretty spread out where it was like we'd shoot a few scenes and then like two, three weeks later, we'd shoot a couple more. That's not a big deal. I mean, we finished shooting it in October or November or something, but even that wasn't a problem because once I have footage, I can edit it, right? So I've been editing the entire time. At no point did I ever catch up to all the stuff we'd shot because of all the dang special effects. For as long as the shoot took with delays and the way it was set up, it still took 10 times as long because of all the dang special effects. It wasn't like I was sitting around like, I have nothing to do because I don't have enough footage shot. I always had enough footage shot. I never caught up to the amount of footage we shot because it took so dang long for some of these scenes. And then there was a whole bunch of scenes in the film that involve a pair of aliens played by Elliot Mim and Michael Kaiser, of course. And once I had that footage, those scenes took so long because a huge chunk of the special effects took place with their scenes. It was slow going, man. The stuff I shot with the other actors, the what's that live action stuff, like everything else is animated. No, but like the non-alien related stuff, we shot that stuff and I edited it and it wouldn't take that long. But again, I never caught up because of all the other crap I had to do. The only reason this took so long is because of all the special effects, but I think you see it in the final product. It's freaking cool. There's a lot of good stuff. And yet it feels like it's not enough. I wish I could have put more in there because it's just what I did end up with is so cool that part of me is like, God, I wish I had twice as much, but I don't have twice as much time to do it, nor do I have the inclination at this point. I'm done. (laughs) The movie's done. I'm done with this film. And I think it's really, really, really cool the way it is but it's done i am done with it and it's a good movie i think you're gonna like it it's just different from the last three movies i've made (laughs) only because it stars people who aren't my children and are older than me (laughs) no it's great i think everyone gives a really good performance and that's another thing that's really cool about this movie is that everyone in it is really good mark Hader plays general castle in it and surprisingly general castle is one of the funniest parts of it Partially because he's playing off of Mike Cook as Dr. Edwards and and Dr. Edwards does not like General Castle. And the interplay between the two of them is so perfect. Mike is so damn funny because he plays exasperated very well. And Castle's one of those interesting characters to write because he's so set in his belief that whatever he does is the right thing. So he doesn't always take other people's thoughts or feelings into account. He just says it like it is, dang it. And that makes me laugh when it's juxtaposed with Dr. Edwards and his jovial sciency approach to things. There's a couple scenes in there where they play off each other so well. And then you have Dr. Gabriel in there who's just kind of... Yep, whatever. <laughs> there's, there's something about the difference in the way Dr. Gabriel acts compared to the way Dr. Edwards acts. And Gabriel's a little more like the halfway point between Castle and Edwards. And then you have Tyler Haynes coming in and playing the character of Agar again, who was the goofy soldier from Demon with the Atomic Brain. And he's back as that character. And I got a few really good lines with him and, and just... I don't, it just works. I mean, I really liked the script when I finished it, and I'm really happy that I was able to make it and that it came together as, as good as it is. It is quite good. I can't wait for people to see it. Of course, like I said, I'm done, but I'm not done. I still have a lot to do. 
But if you want to see the cool poster design, go to sayingeuphoria.com and see it. I think it, it evokes a, a very retro feel. I think it's one of my favorite designs I've ever done. My son, Elliot, you guys know Elliot, Danny Johnson. He said, you know, what's interesting is that for the last five or six movies, you sort of created your own style to these things. Like it looks like the same artist did these last five or six movie posters going back to like Queen of Snakes and Guns of the Apocalypse where they're retro and classic, but they don't look exactly like existing ones. They look like your style. They evoke that feeling, that nostalgia for those 1950s, 1960s B movies, but it looks like your style now. And he said, in this one in particular, it's just like, yep, you can tell my dad made that. And it just looks unlike other people's stuff. I was like, is that a good thing? He's like, yeah, it's just, it's cool. It's like, it fits with the other stuff. The Phantom Like Kids posters, the Queen of Snakes poster, it fits. And I think it's a really cool poster. And I'm excited to get some printed so I can get one up on my wall. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's what's going on in the Mimiverse. We got to get going here and get into the uh, oral history because I've been rambling a little bit this month but when don't i so yeah annihilate all humans is complete it will be released i can't wait for you to see it i really like it if you want to get your name in the credits do it now you're literally out of time that's not an exaggeration you're out of time you have maybe a week or two from the day i release this if you want your name in the credits get it now if you don't you're gonna have to wait for the next one which will be announced soon so it's up to you get it in this one knowing full well that it's going to be released it's done you'll get your name there or wait i think you can be confident if you throw money at me whatever it is you're throwing money at me for it's gonna get done i think now would be a perfect time to get into one of the other reasons you're listening and that would be this month's edition of an oral history of the mimiverse Last month on an oral history of the Mimiverse, I talked about starting to shoot Danny Johnson Saves the World. Finally got out of the late night double feature and into Danny Johnson and talked a lot about the pre-production and then the beginning of production with the first day of it going really well and every day after that, not so much because kids be kids and they're going to mess around. We got into shooting Danny Johnson Saves the World and the days we shot with all the kids were obviously the hardest, simply because the more cats you have to herd, the harder it gets. So there were some days where the entire cast was there and they were somewhat nightmarish. <laughs> and the couple days where it was just Elliot, RJ Lundgren, and Gabby Bellata that were a little more difficult than others, simply because they were all like, 12 and good friends and they would screw around and giggle and laugh and there's that scene where they're all turning around and turning around because they keep hearing weird noises and then danny hears his sister and runs away those scenes were really hard to shoot because the kids were just goofing off the whole time i was having difficulty getting them to like spin around and not look at the camera so the way that ended up being edited together i've never been entirely happy with because it was a bit of a compromise if you watch that scene when they're in the woods and they're spinning around saying what was that what was that what was that 
the edit of when they're spinning around, it just never turned out as good as I hoped it would because they kept looking at the camera. And so I had to do some creative editing, some blurring, some weird stuff. I don't know. Watch it. You can see it just feels weird. There's something a little off about it. And that's because I had to do some creative cut and paste almost. I, I just, I had to do like overlays from one shot to the next and like remove a couple of frames when Gabby looked at the camera. And so I had to digitally replace her eyes. I mean, it was just like weird little things to make it so that it would work. And I just couldn't get it to work when we were shooting it. And we were running out of time and I was getting frustrated. And it was just like, good enough, I'll make it work. And I didn't realize when we were shooting it that they kept looking at the camera that much. But it was almost like every shot, someone was looking at the camera. It became increasingly more and more difficult to shoot the movie with the kids. But the days when it was only like... Elliot and Alice, those days were fine. Alice is very focused. She can be very serious about her filmmaking. Even then, when she was only like six years old, she was very serious and very focused. And that would, through osmosis, make Elliot more serious too. You know, Elliot's kind of a ham. He likes attention. He likes to play it up, especially in front of his friends. But when he's with his sister, who does he have to impress? I mean, he likes making people laugh. And if it's his buddies, all the more. And if it's his siblings, sure, he's into it. But when it came to Alice, he would be much more serious when it was Alice and him. So those days weren't quite as bad as shooting with some of the other kids. You know, like David at the time was only like four years old, so he could only do so much. Dan is always easy to shoot with because he's very shy and quiet. So he tends to be in the moment, but he's also one of those people that when I am shooting with Dan, I have to make sure I'm very specific about everything he needs to do or else he just kind of stands there. <laughs> there, are, there are a couple shots of the day the earth abruptly almost ended where I didn't quite direct Dan enough. And you can kind of tell if you're, if you pay attention to chip, you can see where he's just kind of like, okay, I guess I just stand here. <laughs> so I'd have to be like really sort of specific, like Dan, here's what I want you to do. And if I told him to do it, he would do it. If I forgot to tell him to do it, he would just kind of stand there. Like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. But so those couple of days when I would be shooting with just Elliot or just Elliot and like one other kid, those tended to go a lot smoother. There was one time, this is one of my favorite stories of making Danny Johnson. So there's the scene where Steve jumps onto Elliot's face and Alice is there and she has to like get him off his face and he's screaming and all this. I love that scene. It's so stupid. And that's why I love it. And Elliot's making it slap him and stuff. And I just, I, I think I, I love it. I just, it's so dumb. I love it. And I think Elliot does a great job. Even when he was only 12, he's like, I'll make it slap me. And I just, I love the idea. We were shooting that scene. And then the scenes after it, when he's laying on the ground and he gets up and then runs away, Steve. So we are shooting that in this wooded area near my house and it's just a walking path and we're out there and we brought a blanket, like a crappy picnic blanket to put on the ground because Steph had to lay on the ground to puppet Steve. So we're out there and she's laying on the ground and we're getting set up for when he's going to pop up and look at them and then run away. As we're getting ready, we start seeing people down the path riding their bikes, right? And they're kind of looking at us all apprehensive and they're all worried. And I'm just waiting for them to go through because I can't shoot with two people on bikes in the background. And I'm like, oh, you guys can come through. And they're like, is everything okay? We're like, yeah, we're fine. We're shooting a movie. I make cheesy independent films. <laughs> they're like, oh, 
good god we thought like something bad had happened because she was like laying on the ground and it's just you guys were all around her we thought like we were gonna call like an ambulance and i'm like well i'm glad you didn't because <laughs> everything is fine and i started laughing about it i was like okay it was really nice i'm like oh no something bad has happened we should help but at the same time it's like we have a camera sitting right here <laughs> it's like there's a camera and kids in weird costumes and this woman laying on the ground with the puppet sure she's hurt <laughs> they kind of had a laugh like oh we were so worried i'm glad it really wasn't that and then of course like well what is it you're doing and then you gotta give them the speech this happened with guns of the apocalypse but in a much darker way we just had to tell them oh this is what we do and this is the movies i make and they're like oh it's super cool okay cool well break a leg it's like okay thanks they finally went through but they were so concerned like oh no something's wrong she's like laying on the ground what do you think happened i don't know i think she maybe she had a heart attack or something <laughs> what's the puppet i don't know this is some really bad happened there's a puppet <laughs> so that happened that was probably the funniest thing that happened with just sort of random people although there was another time where there's this walking path that we were shooting on there's houses that jut right up against the woods we were shooting out there one day and this couple their dog's super friendly and rj was always around like he was always outside everyone knew rj he was super friendly to everyone in the neighborhood and he knew like everyone's animals he's a good kid he knew like everyone and everyone's animals and so as we're out there shooting behind these people's house it's like their backyard then the woods the dog who knew rj from this house they let him out and the dog like just runs right out of their yard right into the shot <laughs> to see rj because it knew him he's like oh hey it's it's loki the dog loki and it was like oh okay <laughs> and like one of the owners goes like oh i'm so sorry oh hey what are you guys doing and of course we have to explain it all and he's like oh that's really cool do you mind if i just stand over here and watch and i was like you kids okay with that and they're like yeah it's fine but like they're all distracted because they're just like really friendly doggy <laughs> uh working with kids i tell you what so generally everything was fine like i said i complain a little about how less than focused they were and sometimes i did have to rein them in as their dad not as the director but as their dad like all right kids come on <laughs> get out the dad voice and it was fine it works there was one time it was funny so steph was very very involved in making this movie i mean it's her kids she wants them to look good but also she made all the puppets so she made sure that no matter what she puppeteered every puppet she would not let anyone else puppeteer anything unless it was absolutely necessary and it was really only one time and that was when the puppets were behind trees mitch had to puppeteer one of the puppets once it killed her she wanted to make sure that she got to do all the puppeteering she was just i'm doing all the puppeteering i don't know why she got so possessive about the puppeteering but she made sure that she did it all there were times where it was like, you know, someone else could help you. And she's like, no, I'm doing it. <laughs> it's like, okay. But she also would do like the kid's hair. She did all the costuming. I mean, she was kind of a one man crew for my filming, which was fine because that was part of the reason we did it this way. Because after all these movies working with other people and some of the drama and all the stuff, we wanted to kind of, you know, bring it in house. And it was the kids. And they were much younger, much littler, and we wanted to make sure that if we're working with them, it was just really our family so that they felt comfortable and we didn't have to involve people they didn't know because then they were going to get weird and shy. 
And so we wanted to kind of bring it in house because this was a movie 10. And again, I was tired of the drama. So we bring it in house and Steph and I, and Michael and Liz, when they could help would be our crew. Mitch helped out when we needed him with the robot and stuff, but they know Mitch. He's a really nice guy. Everyone loves Mitch. And so we just kept it small. It created its own specific issues sometimes by having it be just family. Cause sometimes the kids knew they could get away with certain things that they maybe wouldn't have if they were working with other people they didn't know quite so well. They didn't always feel the need to be on their best behavior because it was just mom and dad. <laughs> eh. There was one time we're shooting the scene where the robot is coming after Evelyn when she's on the ground, when Danny Johnson finally finds Evelyn again before they get captured and Danny runs off and finds her and the the robots coming to get her. Usually Steph would do Alice's braids, right? She has like uh, pigtail braids. The day we were shooting that she had to like work a little bit late or something, but we had to just get it done because of like when Michael was available. I don't remember why, but it was just like we had to shoot it and Steph had to be somewhere and it was a perfect day for it. And it was just like, I can get there, but I can't get there before a certain time. But if we didn't start till later, suddenly it would become a problem with the light. And I was like, well, what's the big deal? I mean, you just join us when you can. She's like, but who's going to do Alice's hair? And I'm like, I can do it. I used to have long hair when I was a teenager. I, I had hair to the middle of my back, man. I was in a, it's in a grunge band, man. Come on. I need hair in the middle of my back. I know how to braid hair. She's like, but you won't do it right. <laughs> I'm like, I can, I can handle some braids. Come on. So she's like, all right, well, just make sure it looks good. And I'm like, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. She's like, okay, you can do it. <laughs> and then, so I braided Alice's hair and we got down there shooting there and Steph joins us. She's like, what the hell? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, what did you do with her hair? I'm like, I braided it. <laughs> She's like, this is terrible. It's so loose on this side and this side's tight and it's like smaller. And it's just, what have you done? <laughs> I'm like, I braided her hair. It wasn't as good as, as other times. It was just funny. Steph had it down. She knew what she was doing and I knew how to braid hair. <laughs> Not saying I knew what I was doing, but I had a vague idea of how to braid hair. <laughs> so it doesn't look as good as it could have, I guess. <laughs> but she was just like, what? This is why I thought, couldn't we just wait? Couldn't we do it another day? But of course I get eager to get this done and I hate putting things off. Plus when we were shooting Danny Johnson, I wanted to get the majority of the stuff that involved everyone but Elliot done before school started. We were shooting it in the summer of 2014. So it was like, I wanted to make sure we got it done before school started in September so that the little kids didn't ever have to worry about it. Elliot being a little older, he was fine shooting stuff at night on school nights or on the weekends or whatever. So <laughs> the shoot went okay. There was some cuteness. There was some frustration. One of the bloopers on the Blu-ray and DVD always makes me laugh. We were shooting actually on Steph and my anniversary in August. Sometimes we would wait and just see how's the weather today. It'd be like, we're either going to shoot on Thursday or Friday, depending on the weather. And like, oh, well, Thursday weather is perfect. Let's go shoot. And it was like our anniversary. And Steph was like, no, it's fine. We'll just, it's one quick little scene. We can just quick shoot it. And then we'll go out later. The night of our anniversary, we didn't really have anyone to watch the kids. And we're just like, ah, we'll just take them out with us. It's no big deal. We were fine with that. But we were shooting and the little kids were with us too. And we were just talking about, well, what should we do for dinner? And Steph's like, oh, we should go to a steakhouse. And Alice is like, steakhouse? What's that? She's six. And I'm like, a steakhouse, that's where you get steak. She's like, it's a house made of steak? <laughs> I was like, 
no, it's a place where you get steak. She's like, oh, I thought you meant a steakhouse. It's made out of steak. And she starts singing a song out of it. And I put it on the bloopers because it's just so like little kid silliness where it's like, it's a steakhouse. I want to eat it. <laughs> just make me laugh like, what? No. So literal, right? This little kid is just like, it's a house made of steak. I want to eat the house. It was a good time to shoot that movie. And I think it was really everything I needed at the time after the constant craziness of the previous few years of just even starting all the way back to Monster Phantom Lake and working my way through the giant spider and the late night double feature and just like the evolution of everything after what was 10 years. This was movie 10. I needed a little like, you know, something to pull back and make a movie. But have a little fun with my family who had all grown up around this and had been like, we want to be in a movie, Dad, put us in a movie. So this was cool. I thought this was kind of fun to do something different. That's another thing is it felt like something different. Now it's not so different. I've done five things with these kids. It's not very different. It's actually a significant part of my filmography now. But at the time, it was like, I want to do something different. I want to do a kid's movie. I want to do a puppet movie. I want to do something different. So it was a nice break. And actually, while we were shooting that movie, it was the first year in 2014 I was invited to be a guest at Blobfest. I've talked about the Blobfest event before, but it's a really, really cool event in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, which is where they shot the movie The Blob back in the 50s. They started doing an event called Blobfest every year where they show the movie The Blob and they do this whole thing based around the movie. It's a big touristy thing. And the movie theater, which The Blob attacks, still exists. It's basically the same as it ever was. So to see the movie The Blob at the theater where they shot The Blob is pretty cool. In 2014, they were expanding and adding days to it. Originally, I think it was just Saturday, and then they added a Friday and a Saturday. And then in 2014, they expanded to add Sunday. And what Sunday they wanted to do was add some independent film into it. And they wanted to invite independent filmmakers to come in show their movies with the blob, do like a double feature. And I was the first one they asked, which I think is pretty damn cool. And they wanted to show the giant spider because why wouldn't they? And so Steph and I went out there and this was in July. It was over her birthday, actually, in July of 2014. And, and we dropped the kids off at Steph's mom's house in Wisconsin. And we drove the rest of the way and went and did Blobfest, which was really freaking cool. We learned a few things on that trip, which is that whenever you're going to do a street fair in the sunlight, it's a good idea to have an umbrella. <laughs> We had to borrow an umbrella from someone because I was dying. They do like a little street fair in addition to showing the movie on their little main street outside the theater. We had a table to sell stuff, but we were like right in the sun just beating down on us. And luckily, a nice guy loaned us a big umbrella to uh, sit under because I was dying. We also learned that Steph and I have a sushi limit. We like sushi a lot. I like Asian cuisine. I really like Japanese cuisine. I really like sushi. However, eventually you get to a point where it's too much sushi. <laughs> For her birthday, we found a nice sushi place and we misread the menu a little bit and ordered two giant platters, not realizing that we only needed one. And we got so much sushi. And of course, we're staying in like a hotel and we can't really take it with us. I mean, we could throw it in the fridge, but what are we going to do? It's like a 19 hour drive from Phoenixville to Wisconsin where the kids are with my mother-in-law. How the hell are we going to keep sushi good in the car? 
or not. So, <laughs> so we ended up ordering all this sushi and we tried to eat as much of it as we could, but we both reached a point where it was like, I can't eat any more of this. Like it stopped being good. <laughs> that much raw fish after a while became overwhelming. And we both still laugh about it to this day because it was too much. But we learned something about ourselves on that trip. We do have a limit when it comes to sushi. Also, that blob fest is awesome. Part of the reason I mention it is obviously it took place during that summer when we were shooting Danny Johnson. But also because while we were in Phoenixville, we went to this thrift shop. And Steph saw this dress that she thought was so cute and fun and she tried it on and it fit her. And she's like, this is my premiere dress for this movie. And it was, and it's this fun, like almost like Carmen Miranda kind of thing. It's just, it's a cool dress and it looked really good on her. So that's my first blob fest story. So yeah, we finished shooting the movie and I was editing it. And this will be the last story I tell about the making of Danny Johnson Saves the World. And next month I'll get into releasing it and what came after with Where Skeeto and the Monster Phantom, like the musical and all that stuff. But right now, this is the last story I feel like needs to be told for making Danny Johnson Saves the World. The last scene we shot was the scene of Steve and Danny in the flying saucer. They're standing in the hallway hiding because they want to get into the room where they can talk to the computer and figure out where everyone is. And there's the little guard standing outside. And it's the one where Steve goes off and basically kicks the crap out of him, but you never see it on screen. That was the last scene we shot. We made a point as well in that scene to make it where Danny Johnson pulls his lucky coin out of his pocket, which was a reference to the online video game thing I made, which I don't know if I've mentioned it in the oral history before, but I know I've mentioned it in the podcast here, but I made this Infocom style text adventure called Danny Johnson and the Lucky Coin shortly after I released Terror. And it's sort of a continuation of the story of Terror from Beneath the Earth. It's about Danny Johnson having to go back into the caves to get his lucky coin, which he left there. And I figured when making Danny Johnson Saves the World, I was like, we got to throw his lucky coin in there somewhere. Technically, the game is canon. As far as I'm concerned, it's an actual, honest to God, real story within the universe. So I wanted to throw that in there. And that's neither here nor there. But that's why he like pulls it out and he's like, oh, I still have it. Cool. And then you see him flipping it in Beast Walks Among Us. So we shot that scene. That was the last scene we shot. Here's what's funny. A month or two later, I finally get to editing that scene because I'd been editing the film as I went. And so I finally get to that scene to edit. And as I'm editing it, I'm putting in the audio of his lines. Suddenly I realize something sounds wrong. I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm like, why the hell does his voice sound wrong? So I took a snippet of audio we recorded for that scene and I played it against audio I recorded for the first scene. Somewhere between August and October, Elliot's voice changed. It lowered considerably. And I didn't realize it until I was editing that suddenly, uh oh, we have a problem. His voice has changed completely. And either I need to go back and re record all of his audio to sound lower like it is now. It wasn't markedly lower, but it was noticeably lower when you compared the two. And I was like, that's why it sounds wrong. <laughs> suddenly Elliot is hit puberty. <laughs> Shit. It was funny when I finally realized that I was like, Steph, come here. I want to show you something. She's like, what? I'm like, okay. So you know the scene we just did? She's like, yeah, is it, is it okay? Is there a problem? I'm like, no, no, no. 
watch. Here's a line of his dialogue for this scene. I play and she's like, okay. And I'm like, here's a line of dialogue from the first scene. I play and she's like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, holy crap. His voice has changed. She's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go back and re-record everything so it all matches? I'm like, no, I'm going to have him just come back and re-record this one and try and make his voice a little bit higher. And so we re-recorded it and made it a little more whispery and a little higher. And it still wasn't perfect. So I actually ended up pitch bending it a little up to be a little higher. But if you listen, it's not perfect. You can tell it's changed. We did our best to hide it. I didn't want to go back and re-record all of the audio for the entire film. We were getting to the end. It was the last scene we filmed. So I was really, I was basically, I was at the end of it. And so if you watch that scene, it's a scene where he and Steve are standing behind a little wall and they're sort of peering around the edge and there's the little alien guarding the door. Steve leaves and Elliot pulls out his coin and he checks it. He's like, oh, it's still there. And then he listens as Steve kicks the crap out of that guy and does his Steve foo so they can get in. That's the scene. Pay attention in that scene. Everything up to that point and everything after, his voice sounds the same. But in that scene, suddenly he kind of looks a little older and his voice is definitely lower. And the funny thing is, is like it was a matter of a month. Like that was the last scene. There was a bit of a delay. You know what? Now that I think about it, I remember why. Because October is a very busy month for the Mimiverse. It's when I do the majority of my screenings and events, especially in the past before 2020, October was always insane. I was constantly traveling. I was constantly doing events. So that last scene ended up being delayed quite a bit. And it was just that one month between September when we were shooting stuff and then end of October, maybe even early November, when suddenly his voice dropped (laughs) and he grew six inches. I mean, it's just if you pay attention to that scene, you can tell, yes, things have changed. And I guess that's the real danger of shooting with kids around puberty age is suddenly they grow up. And you see it in sitcoms all the time, right? When they have a kid and suddenly between seasons, they come back and like you have a boy with a high voice and he's five foot one and suddenly come back after three months away and he's six feet tall and he sounds like Barry White. You got to deal with it. Everybody hits puberty. You can't fight it. These movies are like a weird time capsule in my kids' lives. And it's to me kind of cool. I mean, it's not to everyone else, I'm sure, because they're not your kids. But as you watch your kids grow up and they get older, it is kind of nice that I have, you know, home movies. But these happen to also be movies (laughs) that people watch and enjoy. But it's also these time capsules in my kids' lives. You know, you watch Danny Johnson now and it's like so precious You know, my wife goes nuts every time when she sees little Dan and David. David's like four years old. He's this little kid with this tiny little coonskin cap. And then you see him in the day the earth abruptly almost ended. And he's the same age Elliot was when we made Danny Johnson and he's fighting a bat. You know, I mean, it's just like such a difference. And it's it's cute to see your kids in different stages and to have that be preserved forever. Maybe forever. Who knows? In this digital world, what lasts forever? So I think this is probably a good place to stop. Next month, I'll talk about the release of the movie and how it was received and going into what happened next. I had planned at the time on taking a year off, but I ended up taking three months off. And I'll talk a little bit about why. This has been an oral history of the Mimiverse.
Thank you so much for listening this month. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're ready for Annihilate All Humans. Not ready to Annihilate All Humans, but for Annihilate All Humans, the movie. I think you're going to like it because I do. Remember, if you want to get your name in the credits, you have to do it right now. You're running out of time. Go to SaintEuphoria.com, contribute to Annihilate All Humans, the movie, not the act, and get your name in the credits. You're running out of time. By this time next month, when the next Mimiverse Monthly comes out, you won't be able to. It'll be closed, and you'll miss your opportunity, but maybe you'll be able to uh, contribute to the next movie. Who knows? The point is, contribute now if you want to get your name in the credits of a movie that is done and will be released and you'll be able to see. Okay? Do it. In the meantime, as I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. I will talk to you again next month.